This Paul Noble for me to perform, and today's podcast is a little interesting. We've done, I think, three of these, Becky, um, where we uh, allow the clients to sort of compare notes with each other rather than just kind of getting our experience, though. Um, obviously, sometimes there's a little bit of goading that needs to, to happen, and so there will be some topics that I bring up and I kind of want to bring up the article that I just wrote, um, which I think is sort of interesting. And I see Garrett on the, on the call. So I think this will be something that'll be of interest to him because it was a question that, that he asked um, in the group. And so just so everybody knows, uh, we have Becky on the call. Becky is the director of coaching here at Eat to Perform. And so she is the the main guru. Um, <laughs> we had a question actually come up uh, uh, related to some of the acronyms in the files. And uh, it's been so long since I've done a file that I honestly didn't know that that was even an acronym anymore. So Becky, if you want to say hello to anyone. Hi, everybody. I'm really glad that you all have decided to join us today anyone or everyone. So Becky will be answering the questions that are in the chat. And so um, if you have a question or a thought, remember the idea of these Power Hour sessions is that you're going to share your thoughts. And so like as an example, if Elizabeth asks a question about mindset, it's very possible that Annie can talk about her experience with that specific thing rather than just me or Becky. But we'll 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 play it by ear, and it usually goes pretty well. Okay, so there's there's something that I wanted to talk about, and it was really difficult to talk about. And I can I can express this on a podcast in a way that I can't express it in an article. Um, if you read my article about the um, larger frame dancer at the Beyonce concert, um, so far, really good response, um, which is awesome. But what I really was trying to tack tackle there was the path from going to unhealthy to, to healthy from my perspective, right? And there was some distance between what I was trying to say about this young woman and what I was trying to say about myself in that instance. But what I was trying to kind of impress upon people is that we're all in a hurry to get to this healthy place, right? But what we're not really honest about is that it's really not about health. It's about wanting to look like an Instagram influencer or a celebrity very quickly, right? And then a lot of those people play into our insecurities and sell a lot of things that actually work against their, your goals, but also kind of work against their goals. I don't doubt that some of them use cleanses or whatever every now and again, but the great majority of the time, you know, they're going to be eating enough to fuel exercise, right? Um, and, you know, Actors or actors and actresses are notorious for changing their body composition for roles. So sometimes that becomes a problem as well, right? But 
when I'm talking about health, I'm talking about confidence and, and self-assuredness. And I'm also talking about vitals. So I want to talk a little bit about my experience. Um, you know, I know that this, this topic is really on, on mental health. And to say that I had no, no, you know, that my weight journey was not about mental health at all would be wrong, but it, it wasn't, it wasn't what many of you experienced. So I don't really know what that is like. And I think in some ways, um, women experience this very differently than men, right? Because it's just so much societal pressure. One thing I would like to say about that though, is a lot of times people blame the media, right? For these unrealistic expectations and things of that nature. I think that gives you too much of a pass. If you feel like you are being influenced by the media, as an example, or magazine or in, in Instagram, stop consuming that content, right? You do have control over that, right? And so I think that that's a really important discussion for us all to have related to mindset. That isn't to say that we don't realize that there is a, a judgment related to certain things or whatever, you know, and, and, you know, you'll have to kind of navigate that yourself. But I would say that in my case, um, I was aware, I think I've told this story before, um, you know, I was a professional poker player at the time, I was very into data, that's ultimately kind of the foundation of, of what eat to perform is because it's like, well, if I could take data and figure out how to, you know, win money from other people, why couldn't I use this for my health? And so that's why I'm such a big advocate for data. And one of the points of data were the vitals that I was getting from my doctor, right? So I had two things that I was doing routinely. One, I was going to the doctor every six months and two, um, I was going to the University of Minnesota to get my body fat tested. And so I was getting this constant feedback of data that allowed me to make the correct choices more often. And what was interesting, especially as I got to around 20%, right? Because um, it took me about a year and a half to go from where I was. And then the first time I tested my body fat, I tested at 32% but I had already lost, what was it, 80 pounds, right? So so testing at 32% at 80 pounds um, was heartbreaking. And there were, there were a lot of tears, I can tell you that, man, because it just felt like, it just feel, I didn't feel like I looked like I was 32% by any stretch of the imagination. But what was happening was, is if, if you recall the, the story of eating form, I was eating more than 5,000 calories a day. I was very, very active. It was a time in my life where I was kind of in this transition from, you know, being a professional poker player, um, which was making me miserable and, and keeping me fat, right, to um, this healthier version of myself, right? 
And then ultimately what ultimately became eat to perform. And the part that became eat to perform was making sure I was eating more than 5,000 calories a day because what I wanted to prove to myself, at that point, I was just trying to prove it to myself. I had no interest in proving it to million, 1.5 million people like the followers that we have on Facebook, right? I was simply trying to know it for me, right? Could I up my work capacity, right? Um, and I wish I had the numbers in front of me because it's a truly telling story. Um, my triglycerides, now remember, you know, I was doing mostly cardio. I started walking, walking, graduated to hiking. Uh, most of my jogging and running kind of came after CrossFit. I wouldn't say that that was a huge thing. We might have been doing like 5Ks or something, but it wasn't anything like what, what would come later on. Um, but what was interesting, just the getting from 260 to 200, my triglycerides, I want to say they were like mid 300s. It was some ridiculous number, right? And and I don't even know what my body fat was because at that time I wasn't testing because um, I didn't want to know, right? Like think about all the people that say, oh, I avoid the scale, you know, and I get it right? Like we've all been conditioned. We want the scale to go lower. So that's why when, when it gives us any information at all, that is contrary to that. We just have a tendency to want to avoid the scale. Why do we want to avoid the scale? It's ignorance in the direct def definition of the word, right? And not knowing is not more helpful than knowing. Right. And so when you can change that expectation and what I started to see once I started weighing myself daily and once I started body fat testing once a month was that I could make changes that would directly affect my health very positive. So very early on, it was very cardio centric and that cardio, I know cardio is bad, right? Everybody hates cardio. Cardio is cardio. Um, I went from 350 to probably 125 at that point, right? So, so you could not argue that being active in the way I was wasn't positively affecting my triglycerides. And triglycerides does have a relationship to the amount of fat that is flowing through your, your cells and could potentially be stored, right? So having those lower is helpful. Um, then once I got to about 20%, um, I, I, I keep it in my, my fitness pal to this day where it said 20% or bust, right? It was that hard to get under 20%. And I got stuck at 20% for, I want to say three, but it feels like more like six months. This was this was 14 years ago at this time, right? So like the, the recollection of it, I can't even remember what I had for breakfast, right? So, so there's going to be some gaps in the machinery, right? Um, but I think that what happens is we all want these major changes really quickly. But if we knew that the slow and gradual approach 
if we had more data, if we were going to the doctor and getting more blood work and things of this nature, this is a little bit of the initiative towards E to perform health. I get blood work every four months, right? So I know what my triglycerides are. I know all this other stuff because of E to perform health. That data changed my life. That's why I want all of you to have access to that data, right? And I think that if you had access to that data, you would take a more helpful approach to your journey overall. I said this on the podcast with Jessica, but what was interesting in writing this article about this dancer um, who was a full-figured gal at the Beyonce concert, I came across an interview where Beyonce freely shared her weight and she said she was 175. If you recall listening to the last podcast, I said, we need to normalize 175, right? Because Jessica, the person that was doing the podcast at that time said, mostly she sits around 160 to 175, right? And I think if most of you on this call, you know, were to realize, you know, there's a weight at your lowest, but then there's a weight like 10 to 15, maybe even 20 pounds where your body naturally seems to want to go a lot, right? And so in response to one of the questions today, I can't remember exactly what it was, but I, I was talking about my body composition goals and, and, and things of that nature, because, you know, if you can recall, you know, I got down to 149 pounds. Right now, I have 170 pounds of just lean mass, right? So, so that's a drastic, drastic difference um, in approach because, frankly, I'm a big believer in set point theory. I think a lot of people use set point theory wrongly. They use it to sort of, uh, oh, well, I guess I'm just destined to this. It's like, nah, that's not really what set point theory is trying to tell you. What set point theory is trying to tell you is that maybe a healthier range is not 149. Maybe a healthier range is 175, or maybe a healthy range might even be 190, right? So I'll give you an example of what I what I mentioned to the person in this post. Right now, you know, summer, <laughs> there's a few things going on this summer. Um, one is uh, I am eating sodium like I'm a baby deer. I mean, like like it's the first time I've ever had salt in my whole life. So, so my weight has, has kind of got gone from 190 to, to about 196, 197. So my question is, is like, okay, let's look at two options, right? We could go to 175 which might be a little bit harder to stay there. One of the reasons why it might be harder to stay there is because if you have 170 pounds of lean mass and you're 175, what does that mean? That means your body fat is virtually nothing. So going, now you would lose um, some of that muscle in that process. And so the question for me personally is, do I just want to go, you know what? I can be roughly 13 to 15% at, you know, um, you know, 188 to 190. And is it, is the juice worth the squeeze 
I mean, I was 260 pounds at one point, right? So, I mean, is the juice worth the squeeze to get to 175? And I can tell you, I would much rather have energy, right? Most of the time. So getting from, from where I'm at to 175 is probably a three to four months process. Getting from where I'm at to, to under 190 is probably a three week process, <laughs> right? So I'm gonna pick the three weeks because my emotional stability is not attached to any of these numbers. So I can make a more rational um, thought process as it relates to all of that, right? And so how can I do that? Well, I can do that because the data, I can know that because of my blood work, I'm already healthy. But if I want to go from triglycerides in the 70 range to about the 45 range, then I would want to get under 190. And so I think that's where some of this data can be helpful. But, but you don't have to use ePerform Health, right? If you can get blood work through your employer or through your medical plan or something like that, do it. It's helpful, right? And, and like I said, I'm not placing a, you know, I know that, you know, there's a negative concept a context to the word ignorant, but but I'm saying in the actual definition of the word ignorant, it's just not knowing, right? And it's that knowing process that allows you a better relationship, but also allows you to take a more gradual approach. Because if you know that having a more healthful approach, you can get to whatever goal you want. The logical, the 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 response I had to the woman in the post was basically this, because she said that she was still struggling with the overall context and, and the overall idea and, and not being able to be consistent as a result of it. And what I said was that's normal. And the reason why that's normal is because you might not be ready for the sacrifice it takes, you know, like in my instance, to get to 175, right? So 190 is actually fine. And, and I think there's a lot of you, especially some of our lifers, people that have been with us for a long time, if you really, really thought about it, you, you go, you know what, I kind of like going to the gym at 100%. And I know if I'm eating 2,500 calories or 3,500 calories as a man, that I am a better human being. There's, it's just, you just can't argue that at your lowest point of fat loss, you're a better human being, right? Your best self is when you're fed, when you're most active and things of this nature. I mean, honestly, seeing that woman dance for three hours was, was just one, it, it's like the height of athleticism, right? And this is why it kills me when people say abs, abs are made in the kitchen. Abs are not made in the kitchen, folks. Abs are made in the gym. Abs are muscles. Those muscles need to be fed, right? And so, so is there a context and a compromise, right? Can you just like slam McDonald's and, and drink Mountain Dew? No, you know, there's, there's obviously some compromise, but, but the default really needs to be more fed, right? more th more doing with food um, than it is less, right? Obviously, we all know less. And then you have to sort of make this decision. It's like, well, do I want to go to the lowest version of myself? Maybe have to be miserable for four months. Maybe it's okay. Maybe the juice is worth the squeeze for you. 
What I think happens in a lot of cases with a lot of people who've been dieting for a very long time is they find that this acceptance of themselves, the, the being okay with who they are now, allows them to make that decision that isn't quite that four-month decision. It is for some, right? Um, and it, and it, it might be worth it. It might be worth it from a health perspective. Like, for instance, if you're a, you know, um, an accountant or a lawyer or something like this, and your activity can't be high, there is going to always be that compromise. So I did see that there was a question or a thought. Um, Becky, is it something that we should bring to light here or is it was it a question yeah yeah um matt says how does one maintain their mental health when injury prevents physical activity for an extended period of time kind of goes to what you were just talking about scale aside eating to perform when unable to perform has been very taxing on my mental health haven't been able to work out regularly since january Somehow, I've been able to stay on track, but the grind of eating well and maintaining macros when best case scenario is for body composition to stay exactly the same has been brutal. Doomed if I do, doomed if I don't. Feeling very stuck. Okay, so you're talking to the right dude, because I am exactly in your shoes, right? So when I mentioned uh, 196, 197, the part that I didn't mention is that I've also been injured since January. I have not been able to, you know, um, do a lot of the things that I normally do, which is pickleball, right? And so it's at that time. So first of all, um, and I'll address the mental health part, but um, when you are in recovery, you don't want calories to be super low, right? You want to be able to recover, um, and part of that recovery process is going to involve food. So through the last seven, which is going into eight months, um, I'm actually coming out of it. I think I have some real good answers now for what happened to my foot and how to fix it. Um, but in that time, I was doing a lot of pull-ups, a lot of um, push-ups, um, I never really kind of got to rowing, even though I do have a rower in my house because it it was hurting just to go up and down the stairs. Um, and so um, all those things are options for us. The problem is, is that a lot of us don't like doing those things, right? So the things that we do, let's say in your instance, you might be a CrossFitter, right? And so not being able to go to CrossFit because you're injured um, is going to be something that is not in your line of what you would prefer to do, right? But you could walk, right? I think one of the things, like, like I think people know that my history was a CrossFitter. Um, and the one thing that's really addictive about CrossFit is that 15 minutes and you're done. And you definitely did work out, right? Like everyone realizes that, right? Um, and so when you have to go to, you know, upper body workouts, which are harder for cardio and things of that nature, I do think that um, if I hadn't been active um, in that time, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm telling you, I went from a 20,000 steps person a day to zero steps a day 
right? <laughs> I mean, maybe not zero, but very close, right? Because, uh, you know, there were times where I was in a boot, all these different things going on. And so the fact that my weight's only up, <laughs> right? Um, I think that when you're having the discussion of um, your mental health um, related to injury, I think that um, I'm not saying that you should or shouldn't have that, right? I'm not going to speak to, you know, um, what your particular message is. But what I will say is that all that is, is noise that you don't need to have, right? Because I think what's happening, and correct me if I'm wrong, what's happening is, is that you have this overriding idea of what your body composition should be. And you are becoming focused that you're losing it in this moment. Well, then you need to stop being active, right? Because active people do get hurt. You know, it's not the goal, right? It's not, you shouldn't be trying to do it, you know, but it is going to happen. And so if you're going to be an active individual, you have to accept that injury is going to be part of that process. And so all the mental mind fuckery around that, you know, doesn't need to be part of your journey, right? You're allowing that to be part of your journey um, because in my mind, your North Star is pointing in the wrong direction. Your North Star is focused too much on the body composition. Not saying it shouldn't be a little bit. I mean, like I said, in the beginning, once I started showing up on TV, you know, with three chins, you know, I, I wanted to do something about it, right? So I get that, right? But my guess is you're doing fine, right? Now, that said, if, you know, you have a lower body injury and you're doing upper body work, but you've allowed your mental health to cloud the journey and now you're up 20 to 30 pounds, yeah, you know, you might want to go to a counselor for that right? Um, why would that, you know, stop you, you know, because, because what people aren't honest about is that it's not the macros going up, it's the snicker bars outside of their macros. It's all these different things that, that when you're off plan or, or too much alcohol, and then when you have too much alcohol, you have extra buffalo wings and things of this nature. It's all those things, right? I mean, the thing that I don't ever really allow people to do because I don't allow myself to do it is to say that effort doesn't have an impact, right? When I'm up six to seven pounds, I know why, right? I absolutely know that I could go to the gym and get on a ski erg right? But the fact that I went from 15 to 20,000 steps a day to zero, and I'm only up six to seven pounds should show you that I'm conscious of it, right? Because it shouldn't matter that much more than that. So hopefully that's helpful. I think if you can separate the mental health piece, right, from your self-worth, you know, um, that that will allow you to do the most correct thing. Because, the reality is injuries take time. And once again, what are we talking about? A lot. We're talking about wanting to have a quick fix, right? Injuries don't work like that. 
injuries don't care if you take a cleanse or, or, you know, the injuries don't work like that. Right. Um, you're going to have to be patient with an injury. And so if you're going to be patient with an injury, at least go into it with the mindset that allows you, um, to, you know, gain a few pounds in that process. And the reality is once you're able to get that work capacity back, like I said, my foot is a lot better. Um, I've done a number of things that I can tell you all of them. Um, but one of the things that's become most important is after my workouts now, which are mostly pickleball and some, some body weight work, um, I stretch that, that specific area of my body. And, and then the other side also, that way I don't get like, um, disproportionate, um, type of gains one way or the other. Um, but that post-workout stretching is what is allowing me to heal a lot better. And so hopefully that is helpful. Um, I did see um, there was another question, Becky, um, or maybe a response to Matt. No, Jane just says that she's in the same boat and understands that it's a mental landfill. Yeah, it's a mental landfill because you're allowing it to be a mental landfill, right? Um, and, you know, I'm not saying that 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 process doesn't take a while to sort of deal with, right? But what, you know, I mean, what I remember about my journey, like, like people used to ask me, like, how long did your journey take? And I would say two years. And then um, I would always preface that by saying, I wish it took five years, right? If it took five years, I would have held on to more muscle. I almost certainly wouldn't have gone down to 149, you know, with my eye twitching and, and you know, just all these negative things um, related to what that took. It was just, it was just too low. And so if you're not familiar with set point theory, set point theory basically um, comes down to kind of where your body is is most of the time um, what it would go down to if if you really push things a little bit harder and then to go below that part it takes extreme action and you know there is no there's no doubt about it right um at that time I was taking very extreme action I was working out um, three times a day, but I was working out eating more than 5,000 calories, right? One thing you don't do when you're eating 5,000 calories is not work out, right? You know, you will 100% um, hold on to fat if you don't work out. So there was this, this pressure that honestly, the 5,000 calories um, allowed me to, um, I was trying to prove the extreme end Right. What we do with you guys is is really more the compromise that I talked about earlier. Right. But what it, you you couldn't do what I did and not know that eating more drastically affects things, because when I moved calories down to three thousand calories, I lost 10 pounds like that. Right. And so so when people say calories don't matter, I'm like, have you really tried? Right. And, 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 and I think a lot of people, especially early on in their, in their journey with Eat to Perform, they just kind of dip their toe in, right? That's why I didn't want to just dip my toe in. I needed to know for a fact that if I ate more and had more energy, 
would I want to go to the gym more? Would I want to be active? You know, all these other things. In fact, weirdly, Eat to Perform has probably held me back in that regard. Though I do think that there was just a point where, you know, I left CrossFit and went to powerlifting because I just wanted to see how much stronger I could get. I knew I was not going to be like that little squirrel monkey on the bars and stuff. Um, like 149 was fine. You know, it just wasn't me, you know, um, and, and my body and looking at my family, like, like we're just not those people, right? We're not naturally um, genetically meant to be super small. Right. And so um, I wanted to see how strong I would be. And then after strength, I went to bodybuilding. And after bodybuilding, ultimately, um, I did kind of a mishmash of stuff. A lot of the templates that we do here at uh, Eat to Perform. And ultimately, I landed with pickleball and and kind of the templates that we have at Eat to Perform that are body weight wise. Right. So um, you should be open to being able to change. Uh, what was Cindy saying related to the pandemic, Becky? Sorry, I had a barking dog. The pandemic. <laughs> Here, I'll read it. I'll read it. I'm fine. Okay, hold on. Let's see. Um, okay, so Cindy saying the pandemic is when everything changed. Pre-pandemic, I was running ultra marathons, working with a sports nutritionist to fuel my body to do what I was doing, which included strength and mobility, injury prevention workouts. When everything came to a halt and other life events, the weight gain skyrocketed for me. The mental health piece came when all my clothes became too tight and the thought of buying new clothes to accommodate the added weight was horrible. I'm working on getting back to consistent macros and getting active again, but it's hard. Okay, so and she does have a follow-up to that. So I hear you. I definitely hear what you're saying, right? But we, we keep having these discussions where the mental health aspect is always related to weight going up, right? And, you know, I mean, you're talking about a level of activity. You're not going to be able to do that level of activity when you're 80 to 90. So does that naturally mean that your mental health has to go away? Or could it mean you just bought the wrong size of clothing, right? Like, like, I think that, you know, I mean, I have half of a closet that where my tailor, where I had to get clothes tailored to fit 149 pound Paul. I am not going back to 149 pound Paul. So I just had to buy new clothes, right? Um, I think if you always make the relationship between negative mental health and your weight, you'll spend your whole life miserable chasing that, right? And, you know, um, I just think that the goal of what your journey should be here at Eat to Perform is maybe to find a compromise, right? Doesn't mean that I don't ever look in the mirror and go, oh, you know, it's, it's time, Right. It's, I certainly do. But I don't attach that to am I happy or am I sad? Right. Because when you do that, what I think you're going to find, and I, I suspect you already found, was that when you were at your lowest, you still probably had moments where you were sad. Right. And that's natural. 
right? Um, I, I talk pretty openly about my battles with depression um, and what I do in that regard and, and talk therapy and all these different things. Um, and so, so I think that it's important that we kind of differentiate those two things. She also had a follow-up, rebuilding everything, activity, running-based nutrition. Once again, when you're 90, you're not going to be able to do all that shit, right? So are you really setting up for a mentally healthful life right now if you base everything on having tight nutrition, workouts at the extreme, right? Like, is there a place where you can be mentally healthy somewhere in between of the two? Because I really don't, I think too many times, especially here at Eat Perform, um, this is actually interesting and I'll, I'll bring it up and hopefully this gives some context to the discussion. Um, but I think you have to sort of detach the two. Um, secondly, um, my daughter was an intern at Eat to Perform and, you know, she worked under Becky. She did all the different things and, you know, she was talking about wanting a little extra money. And I said, you know, she had graduated from college at that point. And I said to her, I was like, Hey, you know, you could, you know, become a coach, you know, we'll, we'll, you know, put you through a course, Becky will train you. She's like, nah, I'm good. And I was like, I don't get it. Like, like what's going on? She's like, well, when I was in the files and I was listening to all these older women talking about their health and talking about their mental health I did not find that to be good for my mental health. And um, that, I mean, it, it almost brings tears to my eyes to know that I raised a, a, a mentally healthy woman. Um, but once again, you know, she's in her early 20s. So it's easy to be mentally helpful at that point. You know, um, she's also had struggles with, health and weight and mental health and all these different things. And she's had to kind of build those foundations as she goes. But I think that young people right now um, have a relationship with their bodies that's very different than women in their 40s and 50s and 60s. You know, I think women in their 40s, 50s and 60s, and, and I'll even put myself in that group, um, because my grandmother, I saw my grandmother dieting until she died, right? Um, and so the the toll that Weight Watchers took on my grandmother was significant in my eyes, and it definitely played a role in ultimately what became me to perform. What I did try to convince my daughter was that, hey, you know, um, more people need to have what you have, right? And I think that's one of the reasons why coaches at Eat Reform seem so empathetic, right? Because they all went through what you're going through and they're on the other side of it, or at least in the process of getting on the other side of it, right? And so I don't know if... Um, I just want to add, Paul, really quick, just my perspective and experience with, because I personally went through, look, I'm sharing, I know. I'm diagnosing, I I'm not prescribing, 
But with my own health, about a year ago, I had a really good concussion and I was out of the game with everything. Like I couldn't function. I, I wasn't cooking. I, I couldn't move, couldn't take a walk, couldn't walk my dog without being dizzy. And then I found out I had Hashimoto's like right after that. And my body completely changed. So I get it. And I feel the, you know, I think the way your clothes fit as a woman, it hits you differently. Like you said, men and women are different that way. But what I will say is, aside from all the physical pieces that I needed to kind of accept myself where I was and choose to accept, this is just like the new evolution and the beauty in, you know, like Cindy said, she has to rebuild everything. Well, it's have to, or you get to, because that's almost like, now I get to kind of tap into what a newbie games feel like all over again. Right. Which is a fun um, mentality. But the other piece of, you know, anytime you're feeling stuck or like you're in that bottomless pit, we focus on, like you said, you're, we get stuck in the mental piece of the food and the weight gain and all of that, right? We get stuck there. One of the ways to remove yourself from that, that I had to look at for myself was where else am I stuck in my life? It's an energy and it flows from, if you're stuck here, you are stuck in other pieces of your life. So distract yourself and alleviate that pressure by looking at where else are you stuck and find a project guaranteed there. Maybe it's your relationships. You start working that stuff out. you you take the pressure off of I'm stuck because I can't fit into my Lululemons like I used to, right? It becomes what's your priority? And you're still eating for your health instead of feeling like I can't do the activity, so I should starve myself. No, you're still eating to be healthy. Yeah. Yeah. So, so one of the, so said another way that I think is helpful for me is things don't happen to you, they happen for you. Mm -hmm. Right. And so, like in the, in the case of Matt, who's saying he has a lower back injury, um, what Sarah's saying there is working on other aspects of your life can be helpful. I will say this though, you know, I've not dealt with a lower back injury, but I have been around people with lower back injuries. And I can tell you for a fact that those people are not inactive. Like I don't love it either, but finding a gym with a ski erg, you know, you could 100% safely do that. You know, like one way that you could do it as an example to protect your lower back would be to sit on a bench and then just pull. That way, you know that you're not using your back. There are ways to exercise. Certainly, your physical therapist could help you there. I, I just, you know, I understand what you're saying and I understand you're allowing it to affect your mental health. And there's probably it's always going to seep a little bit into it. You know, but it is part of the process and you do have control on what you allow. You know, I, I, I'm not a big guy in ignore it, right? I believe that you should unpack it. I mean, you should juggle it a little bit and play with it and allow it to exist, right? But then you should move on, right? And whether it's working on other pieces of your life that, that could use some improvement, that's one strategy. The other strategy would be, um, to stay active, 
while you know immobilizing your lower back so and those things are possible so garrett's saying maybe now's a good time to reframe it as you're working towards getting back to 100 with your back yeah okay so he was talking to matt on just maybe maybe not in the manner in which you would like yeah i think i think that's helpful you know and that's a little bit kind of what i was saying um, well, and understand this was from Becky. Well, and understand that you're not being stagnant as long as your body is healing. That's a great point, right? If you're giving your body the nutrients it needs to heal, right? The worst thing you can do when you are injured is to drastically undereat, trying to, to control your weight because what you're going to do. So there's a certain amount of atrophy that's going to happen no matter what related to any type of injury worst thing you want to do is accelerate that atrophy because that's not going to help your healing right um and so you know as your lats are getting stronger from upper body workouts or or you know military press or or these types of things if you can accelerate that type of thing as you start to heal, what I think you're going to find is that strength in those other parts of your body, your lower body, your lower back, as it starts to heal, will actually be stronger than it was previously because you addressed overall body strength um, in that way. So Cindy was also saying, you mentioned eating five Okay, calories, how or when do you adjust those calories, macros during your recovery time? Does ETP help making those adjustments for these situations? So ETP is, is different from the 5,000 calories thing, okay? So I ate 5,000 calories more every single day. I never adjusted down. Um, certainly, uh, eat to perform is a little bit more of a compromise related to uh, what a lot of you want to do, but I never did. Um I just ate the 5,000 calories on, on rest days also. Um, I did not rest that often though. Um, and, and to be honest with you, that was probably something that was wrong, but I would not have adjusted my food down because think about what rest is, is exactly what I just told Matt, right? Where you're trying to get your body to recover. You're, you know, not feeding yourself on the day that you're trying to recover sort of misses the point, right? Like, like, You've broken down your body. You it repairs itself during sleep and during rest. So if you don't give it the nutrients to repair itself, you're sort of missing the point of what rest does, right? And so a little bit of what we do with low days, a little bit of what we do with medium days, those are all addressing really more of what like people need for their mental health rather than what might be optimal. Right. Um, but 100 percent, you know, um, if I was smarter about rest days at that time, I would not have adjusted calories down, you know, because that 100 percent recovery would then allow me to work out at a much higher percentage, because I can tell you right now, um, not resting near as much. Um, I was probably working out at 70 to 80 percent a lot. And I could have worked out a lot better and a lot more effective. Um, and and like I said, I just kind of got obsessed with um, body composition um, at that time. And uh, you know, I, I mean, I I think I've mentioned it, but you know, I did reduce calories um, twice. 
you know, and the effect was immediate. But I can tell you, going from 260 to 2000, I was eating 5000 calories every day. Um, and what people don't realize, and that's the article that I wrote yesterday, or actually Emma wrote it, but um, the article yesterday was talking about using newbie gains. And, and if you were injured or COVID took its toll on you or whatever, you got another shot at this, right? Because these long-term layoffs do allow you to reestablish newbie gains. And so when I went from 260 to 200, part of it was because my body had just never been used to that kind of work capacity ever, right? And so, so the newbie gains was, it's just something that's just, such a huge benefit that honestly, I wish more people would do it fed. They don't because they're doing it to, to focus on weight. And the reality is, is that if they did it fed, they would probably lose the weight anyway. I mean, one of the, the things that we talk about a lot of, a lot of time is that exercise isn't great for losing weight. And that's true, right? Um, you're much better off just doing a deficit for three months and then, you know, moving your calories back to normal. That said, you know, um, you see it all the time, you know, with athletes that can work themselves back into shape. When you have high work capacity, it does matter and it can shorten that life cycle a little bit. So um, that can be helpful. Jane is saying, but where is the fine line of staying in check and being obsessive? So many of us feel good at a certain point, And when we deviate from that, we get itchy. So many of us feel we need to be attentive, which could border on this obsessive. Attentive, I think she means rigid. Um, if we aren't, the opposite happens to us. Many of us have experienced this too many times. Awareness of gains, losses, and a feel-good body keeps us in check. I personally feel if I don't know where if I don't know where I'll end up, there's always the fear. Some of us can easily get to the place we don't want to be, if not obsessive. The problem that you run into in the scenario that you're describing is that borders on eating disorder type behavior, right? And so if I said to you, hey, would you like an eating disorder along with your side of weight loss? You would probably say, no, I would rather not have the eating disorder. So there's always going to be this compromise. I think what you're talking about is a little bit of a personality type, right? Um, where I need to be at 120, right? It's like, based on what, right? Like if, if you're 150 now, like who's to say 15 pounds of weight loss and 15 pounds of muscle gained wouldn't be as good or better, right? And these are the things that I think obsessive or rigid people get caught up in and doesn't allow them to make the most correct choice. Also, I think a little bit of what you're talking about is kind of a divorce between what reality is and what the data is saying, right? So a lot of obsessive and rigid people often do default to eating as clean as possible and every macro's in check and to the gram, right? And then they don't check the scale and they don't check their blood work and they don't check whether or not they're, they're suffering through osteoporosis, right? All of these things, they kind of have like these negative um, indicators as you're going through life, right? And so some of what you think you need to be mentally healthy 
is working against what your actual health is. That's the point of this podcast, right? Is what is mentally healthy. And as you have to get to numbers or have to be, you know, bringing your celery and your hard boiled egg to a family function and things of that nature. Are those things really positively affecting your mental health? And once again, we sort of get into this discussion of, are we having a food discussion or are we having a counseling discussion, right? Because some of these things are things that we can be empathetic towards. I can tell you my experience. Sarah might be able to tell her experience or Becky might tell her experience. But why are you dealing with it? Sarah mentioned it a little bit earlier that unpacking some of these other things are actually a little bit of the answer, right? So it was it's interesting. Um, you know, I, I talk pretty openly about my counseling. And one of the things that, you know, I started going to a counselor when everything was going great, right? Everything with eating reform was great. Life was great. And the woman was like, why are you here? And I said, I want to um, build the boat before the storm comes, right? And she's like, got it. And so most of my counseling had very little to do with in the moment type stuff. You know, we would explore how I got to this place. What was the history of how I got to this place? And then kind of trying to address some of that history. Like, I'll give you a great example. Um, the woman she wasn't suggesting to me that that I should not want to do eat to perform, but she constantly challenged me on whether or not eat to perform was healthy for my life. And ultimately, I think she and I both agreed it was healthy for my life. But what she the exercise was important because what she wanted me to know was this was important to me. Meaning, meaning my relationship with all of you, right? Because when you can sort of divorce yourself from, you know, I have to do this to I want to do this, you're in a better place, right? And so a lot of my stress, you know, I mean, like if you think about it, you know, I was talking to Sarah about this, you know, about her son and my daughter. And what's interesting is, and what I said to Sarah, I was like, what he needs is real problems, you know, like bill problems and like car note problems and things of this nature. And so what happens as we age, you know, and we're dealing with things that stress us, you know, we don't have the luxury of having an opinion on whether or not, you know, the, the, the person on the street corner should be able to freely do that or not do that, right? Like, I don't even know that that person exists because I have a life full of priorities that are just different than young people. They just don't have things that, you know, they have to worry about, 
right? And so um, I think all those things are interesting. So when we talk about being obsessive, when we talk about you're allowing that a little bit to cloud more of your life than it needs to. And so I don't think the, I don't think the goal should be to not be obsessive or, or not. It's just to move it into a more healthy, uh, a healthier place. But what I want you to do is do what my counselor made me do. Really examine, is this serving you, right? Is this giving you what you need, right? And it might be giving you what you need when you're obsessive because you haven't unpacked the stuff over here, right? And so that's just something to sort of think about. And it's not woohoo, right? It's not, it's not this, you know, pie in the sky ideas. It's real shit. Um, Matt's saying, I will say this, having had my activity level go from, from 100% at the beginning of the year to basically zero, which, you know, is natural, right? When you're first dealing with the acute pain, you, you do have to go to zero. Fully expected the fat to increase at a rapid rate, especially because I'm still eating form, but it hasn't. Um, only up five pounds in six months. That's what I was saying about me, is that when you're only up six to seven pounds, dude, you should be cheering to the to the highest extent, right? You're, you're able to kind of allow your body to heal while eating. I'm pleasantly surprised at how much of a role diet plays versus activity. The injury has forced me to face my fears in that regard, and I'm finding that the fear was unfounded. Yeah, I mean, it's like, I, you, you know, all the things you guys experienced, I have experienced also, right? Like you, you can't be 260 eating 5,000 calories and go, I'm going to get fat, right? Like in the, in that role, you know, I got sick a lot. Uh, I dealt, I, I was lucky to not deal with any real injuries, but I was dealing with like some overuse stuff every now and again and stuff. Um, but, um, you know, five pounds is, is nothing when you consider that when your work, work capacity comes back, um, you will be able to address that fairly easily. Another point that's really interesting and that I talked about in the Beyonce article um, or the Beyonce dancer article was that just weighing five pounds more is going to allow your body to build some muscle that will allow your body to heal, right? That's just not the best resistance tool we all have in our life is not that 15 pound dumbbell. It's that 195 pound body, right? That is walking through earth, walking up and down stairs and things of that nature. Your body just naturally adjusts, right? That's my biggest regret. That's why I say I wish it had taken longer because at 260, I already had the muscle that I had to gain later on, right? If I hadn't blown through all that muscle, I would be in a much better place. Even if my, let's say that my, well, let's just go 50%, right? So at 50%, that would have put me at, at, at 130. That's ironically about where I was, right? But I do think that I blew through some muscle at, at that point and some of my workouts helped um, but it wouldn't, it wouldn't have surprised me if I had 140, 150 pounds of muscle when I was 260. And cause I just wasn't testing at that point. I, so I can't give you the direct numbers. I can't, I can give you the hundred percent of the numbers. Um, once I started testing every month or so, um, all right, this was a great session. Uh, I kind of like the way that this is going. 
Um, I would like more interaction. I think what, what Garrett did to Matt, love to see that. Would love to see more of that. You know, you guys talking to each other. Because honestly, like it's what I believe Becky and myself are, are mediators to those discussions. We don't, you know, the, we don't allow these discussions to go on in the forums because they that negativity is just not helpful right but if we can mediate those discussions then we have a whole different thing and that's what these sessions are for and so i appreciate everybody making the time to be here and we'll talk to you later bye now